Whether packing for a destination vacation or planning a staycation, Macy's has everything you need. Summer's almost here, and I'm so excited to take a trip with Bryn. We are planning it right now. We are heading to Macy's before we pack to grab new shoes we can wear all day with anything. I'm excited to lay in the sun with key pieces from Macy's, like my new Dolce Vita sandals and Levi's skirt. I am ready to relax and look and feel amazing. Oh, how good that sounds. Of course, I can't forget a new beach bag. I have been eyeing the collection of beach bags from Macy's, and I can't wait for you to see what I choose. Shop at Macy's.com slash own your style. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. While not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful rash that can last for weeks. Wake up because shingles could wake up in you. Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. You know how, like, it was by Felicia and then people talked about Becky with the good hair? I never knew about Becky. Becky... Because we talk about Karen so much, someone told me about Becky, but I didn't know Becky. And I have met people recently who say, what's a Karen? So it's like a certain type of person that knows this vernacular. And last weekend, I was, well, I was in Nantucket, where presumably a lot of Karens do live. But I feel like the definition of Karen may have evolved. Like certain things, it's like the housewives. You will get ripped for something you said on the housewives and then later be celebrated for it. Or in reality television overall, meaning there's something that will happen on Keeping Up with the Kardashians that, you know, like Kim, stop taking pictures of yourself. Your sister's going to jail. And in that moment, people may criticize that as being selfish, but later it becomes something that's celebrated. So in the beginning, Karen was a very negative term. I think it was somebody who was racist, and I don't even know what a Karen is. I have to actually look it up. Is my phone? Oh, I'm going to look up what a Karen is, what a Karen was. Hold on. Can I see my phone? I want to see what the definition of a Karen is, was, because I think it's changing, but it may just be that I want to make a change, and I may be doing something wrong. So a Karen. It's a pejorative slang term for an obnoxious, angry, entitled, and often racist middle-aged white woman who uses her 
privilege to get her way or police other all right people. So it's definitely, and when you look up Karen, they show Kate Gosselin. Because I feel like an A-level haircut is part of this for some reason. I don't know why. Like, respectfully to Teresa Caputo, the Long Island medium, I don't know her. I, I don't think I know her. And she seems, I don't know her. So I can't even say what she's, I think she came on my talk show once. So I do kind of know her. And she seemed very nice. But I feel like that's what people are looking at when they see a Karen. Someone who has like a, like a bi-level or multiple layer, short-ish blonde haircut. Okay. So that's what Karen began as and people when you say something that they think is inappropriate will say okay shut up Karen but I think that Karen has evolved a little bit into being someone who lodges complaints and wants to speak to the supervisor and maybe the reason I'm celebrating that is because Paul will say to me would you like to lodge a complaint Karen because I recently had a situation where we were still inside the store and there was bad service and an email came through saying that the bed that we were buying, which was expensive, wouldn't fit. And the person at the front desk said, you can't return it. We didn't even have it yet. It wasn't in our possession. We were still in the store, but they said we, they wouldn't like refund the transaction or even give a store credit, which was all I really cared about. So that's when someone might say, okay, Karen, because I'm entitled, because I think that before we leave the store that it just, I should have measured the item properly. I'm not allowed to make any mistakes, but the truth of the matter is that I don't know if that makes me a Karen or smart. And then also I'm a person who people say, like, if I ask a question like that, like, shut the fuck up, just donate it to charity. So I'm supposed to just be like lighting dollar bills and like buying things and making mistakes and saying, fuck it. It doesn't matter if this is, you know, a couple of thousand dollars for something. I should just say, fuck it. I'll donate the bed to charity like and I don't know what bed I'm donating to charity like what charity it needs a four poster bed I mean I do a lot of charity and one of the things we don't get requests for is like canopy beds so Karen has been reading about the Karens so she knows what she's thought of she has thought of as a racist complainer entitled woman who's middle-aged so Karen knows who she is and I know a friend who her kids called her a Karen, but they don't think that their mom is a racist and they don't think their mom is a bad person. They just think their mom is the type who would ask for the supervisor if something was wrong or like, let's say you ordered food and it was raw. Like, are you supposed to just take food that's raw because you're worried that you're going to be a Karen and pay for it? And that brings me to ask you, like, do you return things? Meaning if something's broken, are you a Karen? If you walk in and say, hi, this is broken, you're lodging a complaint. But I think that whoever Karen is, is evolving and has been reading all about the Karen. So Karen might be a little more evolved now. Karen might complain less. Karen might be a little more open-minded. To be honest, when I wrote Nobody Likes a Sore Loser on my Instagram, not because I was saying Biden's great, Trump's bad, or any, just because I was saying nobody likes a sore loser. And at that point, I felt that Trump had lost the election but wasn't conceding yet. And when I had a lot of people go crazy after me, I realized, wow, a lot of the Karens are mad at me. That's how I categorize it. And then they would come over to Instagram and I would say, I believe that the gap is too wide. And then these women would say, well, I'm disappointed in you, but thank you for responding to me. And all we want is our day in court, meaning we want the fight to be called. Now, obviously there are some people that don't believe that it was fair and and they have a right to their opinion. 
But I learned a lot in that experience because I learned that people want to be heard and want the fight to be called and don't want me to just open my mouth and just say what I think happened first. So my point is, by going over to the side and talking to a lot of these women who I have categorized as Karens, and maybe you think I'm a Karen because I am literally a wealthy middle-aged white woman, but I believe that whoever Karen is, if she has identified herself, that she has evolved now. And then I also think there has become a humorous anecdotal description of Karen, who's just a person who wants to speak to the supervisor. And so I hope I'm not going to get canceled and in trouble because within my office, there's a girl who's the best at like disputing something. If we have a problem, if there's a, you know, someone gets sick and we couldn't go to a hotel and we don't want to burn the money or made a mistake. One time we made a mistake and booked a very expensive trip on the wrong date on the calendar. And so, you know, we, we've deemed who the resident Karen is. And this person is absolutely not a racist. This person is just better at speaking to the supervisor. So I just want to talk about the evolution of Karen and want to know who you think Karen is and has Karen changed? Has Karen evolved? Is Karen part of the conversation? Is Karen doing better? And are you a Karen? My guest today is Rick Springfield. He is a legendary musician, an actor, and an author. And he is definitely best known for his song, Jesse's Girl, which is making a big comeback right now on TikTok. So even my daughter is dancing to it. Uh, this is a song he won a Grammy for back in 1982. So way to take something and really market and capitalize it and turn it into what has been an incredible career. He starred on General Hospital as Dr. Nick Drake, and he has since acted in shows and movies like Ricky and the Flash, American Horror Story, and True Detective. He has written two novels along with his autobiography, Late Late at Night, a memoir. And we talk about pursuing your passions, knowing what you don't know, and the need to be truthful in whatever you do. Rick is an incredibly talented artist, honest human being, who really goes there about his life and his relationship and his business and his music. And I really admire him. I've known him for years. And I hope you really enjoy this conversation because I did. Hi. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Your hair's light, blonde. I always picture you as like a very dark brunette, like my color. Uh, yeah, I had a... Uh... Just lighten a little bit, you know? I like it. So we met years ago on my talk show, and you gave me a pink signed guitar for my birthday, which I still have. This room has better sound quality, but upstairs in this house, I have it in a Lucite case on my wall, and it's like sort of my pride and joy. <laughs> I remember that. Well, it's nice to see you. Where are you? Like, what city and state are you in? Uh, I'm in Malibu, California, in my home studio. Oh, nice. What are you working on? Um, a new record, my new record, and uh, been doing a lot of um, recording, you know, and then lockdown. Uh, also, we're mixing, we did a, a living room show here, and, you know, before the lockdown kind of stopped, broke open, and so we did a a living room show here in my, uh, we did all of Working Class Dog in order from back to front, because it's the 40th anniversary of Working Class Dog, so we're going to put that out soon. Oh, wow. So... That's an interesting question that I haven't thought about. Do you think there's going to be, you know how after like a pandemic or nine months after some sort of earthquake, there's a lot, there's a baby boom. Will there be a good music boom based on all these people being holed up and being creative? 
I'm pretty sure. I've done three albums already here, and uh, they're just being released now. A couple of them are anonymous kind of band albums, and there's one that's being released in Australia that's very, uh, very dark, very different. But yeah, well, it's been a very creative time, I think, for for every musician, for sure. Wow. I just didn't specifically think about that. So you feel like you've been much more productive musically than you would have if uh, life were normal? Yeah, certainly writing-wise. That's really all I've had to do is, is write and record. And, um, you know, you could, because of the, the the internet, you can send you know songs around to all the other musicians, and if they want, they can play on it and send their parts back. And it makes recording by internet very easy. Interesting. That's a silver lining. Um, so the show, I don't know if you've listened, this show is uh, traditionally about started from the bottom. Now we're here, moguls, brand makers, brand builders, people who are undeniably successful in their own right and in their uh, non-traditional way. So this is not a show about being famous or being rich. It's about a road to success. So you know, as I read about you and think about you, I think about how you've had longevity for sure, especially having such massive pop popular success. Often that's a type of person that, you know, kind of goes away, fades into obscurity, made a lot of money in that moment, but fades away. And it seems like you've had so many different iterations of your career and certainly circuitous and non-traditional being a soap star and then being a mainstream successful musician and also having street cred and respect of other musicians, all those things don't normally go together. So if you don't mind, I want to start from your family and your upbringing and what success meant to you and money and drive and what your household was like as it pertains to that. Well, uh, my dad was a lifer in the army, in the Australian army, and my mom was a homemaker, as they say now. And, um, my dad used to, we didn't have a TV when I was a kid. I lived in Australia out in the country, so it was fairly, you know, backwards. And uh, we didn't have TV for a long, long time. So what we do after, for entertainment after dinner, was we gather around the piano. My dad was also a great singer. And we had a player piano, and we'd take turns on the player piano, and we'd all sing. Basically, what we did for entertainment, you know, until the TV came along when I was about eight or nine. And so I had that in my mind that, Singing was something we did, even though my dad was an army guy and we lived on army bases. Then we moved to England when I was about uh, uh, 10. And that's when I discovered music and, and girls. And they've always kind of gone together. Because mm-hmm. So I, um, I didn't get a guitar till I was 13. I used to cut them out of cardboard and make them out of wood. And they were fake guitars. And my mom got the idea to buy me a real one. So she bought me a real one on my 13th birthday. And I didn't realize it back then, but she was encouraging me to pursue a music career. Although she fought it when I started getting into trouble at school, in the end, they were both on board with me uh, leaving school and pursuing, you know, life in a band, even though they knew from what they knew, it was a pretty, could be a pretty short journey. Interesting. So this was a passion driven, just be true to yourself and be happy, not a you have to go out and be successful and make money. This is just like you came from. No, no, I don't know any musician who had been successful that uh, got into it for the money. That's, you know, that's kind of the joke. It's like, um, I'm a painter. I think I'll, I'll do it for the money. Right, right. You do it for passion and and still you know that's why over the the lockdown i've written a lot of stuff is because i'm still very passionate about it and that's my driver and uh 
I think the money and, and any success is, is certainly a gift, and it's not uh, any kind of... Uh, I mean, you, you want to be successful, because as a writer, I wanted people to hear what I'd written. I wanted people to experience what I'd written, and I wanted to move them as basically... I think at the back of of me as a writer, because I'm moved by music. I've been moved by songs. And I wanted to do that for other people. Yeah, it's interesting, because there was somebody on CNBC, and I wanted to jump through the television, and he was saying, anybody who says that, you know, if you're passionate about it, you'll be successful at it, is wrong. And I wanted to jump through the television, because I've had the same experience as you. I just execute ideas. The form is different, but for me, it's, I just love ideas, and I want to execute them, and it's exciting when it hits, when you're, you know, like you said, you're being heard. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Imagine a sharp, stabbing pain on your skin. Sounds like a nightmare, right? While individual experiences may vary, it's how some people describe shingles. This painful, blistering rash could interrupt your life for weeks. It could even force you to cancel social events or weekend plans. Over 99% of adults 50 years or older already carry the virus that causes shingles. One in three people will get it in their lifetime. Why wait? Ask your doctor or pharmacist about shingles today. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, 
offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing. And of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. So what has your greatest success been in your career? Uh, I think the music I've written in the last 10 years has been the best music I've written. And, you know, the fact that um, Jesse's Girl is kind of a huge song, it, it tends to overshadow. I mean, it's great to have a song like that that's kind of in the pop culture, but it's also, uh, it overshadows stuff as well. It's a double-edged sword of any kind of success. I agree. I agree. And it's making a comeback now. So girls that are my daughter's age who are 11 are now aware of you, which is what I was saying before. It's fascinating for you to have touched so many generations in a different way at a different time. Yeah, it's nothing that you can plan and nothing you can say, yeah, that's what I want that song to do. It's just, it's just life. And I actually didn't think that was the best song I've ever written, but it's <laughs> apparently everybody else disagrees. Yeah, exactly. Not that it's an accident, but a happy accident. But yeah, I do agree with that. The overshadowing part must be frustrating. Um, do you care about being relevant? It's it's there in the back of my mind because I listen to new music all the time and I, I see what I try to get ideas if there's anything that I like that I can incorporate. But in the end, it's really, I think because I've had success, I didn't have success by trying to be relevant. You know, the late 70s, when I, 79, when I wrote Working Class Dog and it was all disco and ballads on the radio and uh, here I am writing a guitar-based pop rock album, you know, so I thought. And uh at that point, I'd given up, you know, I'd tried writing disco songs, I tried writing, you know, ballads and, and trying to match the top 40, and it never worked out. It was it always rang on uh, of untruthfulness to me. So I finally just said, you know, fuck it, I'm going to write what I want to write and go around in a band and play this music. And that's when I had my first success was just following my path, what I thought was my path and my love, and not trying to be relevant or current. And I think by the time, you know, if you're listening to the top 40 and trying to write that music, by the time you get that song out, everybody's moved on. I guess I've never really followed trends, and I still don't. I still just, in the end, as a writer, when I finish a song, I finish it because I like it. And there's no one else there to give me an opinion. I, I have to finish it because I like the song. If I don't like the song halfway through, I'll throw it out. That's fascinating because I have had partners come to me, big partners, Walmart or, you know, big partners saying, this is a big thing and we should get into this. When, you know, my, my biggest hit was the skinny girl margarita, because I created something that I felt was something that was important and a practical solution for women. And then later when you become so successful and you make a lot of money, people come to you with these different ideas because of what the market wants. And I said, but th they're already doing that. So I'm going to go do that and forget the details about like put getting a product out, which will be a year from now, minimum. Uh, if you're looking to the left and the right at what they're doing, you're already behind. And also I decide what I like and hopefully they'll appreciate it. Meaning that's what you're talking about in music. It's not that dissimilar to branding. If you're branding products or books or ideas or TV, you basically go with your gut. Yeah. You have to be truthful. I think is really the key and not chase the money. The money really comes to you from your passion. It doesn't come from you chasing it. It's like, you know, it's a big believer in the Zen phrase. You know, you, you chase a butterfly and it'll fly away. But once you stop chasing it, it'll settle on you. 
Mm. So I've seen that happen so many times in my own life. And I've only ever done stuff really that I believed in, except honestly for General Hospital, which I didn't, you know, I thought I just took because I needed the money. I didn't think it would ever have any reflection on me musically. I thought it was just a bunch of, you know, blue haired ladies ironing, watching the, the young people cavort and say mindless shit, you know. So I didn't think it would have any effect on me, on my music, but it actually happened to just be one of those things that it turned into something. But the music was the thing I had the passion for. And that was, I think, why the character took off. The character I played on, The Soap, took off was because people started linking the song Jesse's Girl, that was a big hit at the time, to this character on the show. And that gave me a kind of a higher profile. But I was kind of happy to leave the show and just stick with touring. It doesn't mean we can only go do everything we're passionate about and, you know, eat sand for dinner. You're describing in the moment you were offered something and you needed the money. Or, I mean, there are things that I do do because they have a good number and that's an ROI and aren't going to take so much time. And we have to do something, you know, you got to keep the lights on. I run a big operation. You have to, you know, feed your family or you did and you had to feed yourself and get to be able to, to do things surrounding your passion. So sometimes you're going to take a gig because that fuels the ability to be able to do what you're passionate about. You know, I mean, they go hand in hand, I think. I mean, I was I was passionate about acting, so that was kind of the passion element of the soap thing. You know, I've been stayed passionate about acting and uh, and have done some better things after that, thankfully. <laughs> my one-dimensional uh, soap opera character is not, you know, my only legacy. Right. I didn't know you were very passionate about acting. So, but not the same kind of passion as you have for music or just different? Well, I have lately. I mean, I've done a lot of stuff that's been really great writing, and I love that. You know, certainly doing the movie with Meryl Streep was incredibly exciting, and, and shows like True Detective and American Horror Story, where the where the right and Supernatural, where the writing was really good. Mm-hmm. But at the core of it, you know, what I do twenty four seven is music. But there is a business to your career. Otherwise, you wouldn't still be here and be successful. So are you a good business person? Do you surround yourself with other people for that? Or do you have a good gut instinct for business? Uh, I have great people around me now, mainly from uh, learning the people not to have around you. I have a lot of people around me that, you know, when you're successful, everybody gloms onto you. And maybe 1% of them has your interests as well as their own. But uh, most of them just have their own interests. So I have great people around me now. I do have a good business head for investment and things like that. Not so much for what I should do musically, which is really weird. Mm -hmm. I just write what I write, and I love to perform. and, And I think that translates. The only things that have been successful are investments I've made that I love and I have a passion for. Same. I get it. And it's sometimes so basic and rudimentary. If you know what you know and you know what you don't know, that's a very basic principle if you don't think you're such an exceptional business person that in and of itself is good business right well i just got into business with sammy hagar and beach bar rum that um i don't know much about the alcohol business but i was very interested in it and sammy does sammy hagar knows you know he's already had a home run with uh, the tequila and i was looking into getting into the alcohol business and and they came to me with uh the proposition to join Sammy in, in the Beach Bar Rum uh, promotion, you know, and, and part of the, be part of the company. I have a great business people around me, but I've also been, you know, taken advantage of by business people as every, I think, young musician who makes money uh, fast suddenly, you know, has. I mean, you get fucked at some point. Yep, you're going to get it. 
Nobody gets out without paying the bill. Yeah. So that brings me to think about your relationship. You're you're married, correct? Mm-hmm. For how long? Uh, thirty six years. So how did you meet your wife? Is she into music, and or is she just is she a civilian? Is she in the business? How did you meet? Uh, she was working at Sound City at the front desk, which was a studio that my manager owned. And uh, was a studio that Dave Grohl did the documentary about. Mm, okay. And uh, it's a very, all, all, everyone who, you know, a lot of great people recorded there. You know, Grohl did it because that's uh, where Nirvana did Nevermind and it kind of changed his life. It's where I did Jesse's Girl and, and uh, Working Class Dog and Stevie Nicks uh, recorded there. So he got us all together to write a song and, and be in this movie. And then we went out on tour Sound City tour. So it became a very well-known uh, studio amongst musicians, but now this documentary is out. A lot of people have seen the documentary and they, and uh, it's a very cool documentary too. Everyone kind of gets together with the Foo Fighters and writes a song and then performs it. And It sounds like the comic strip for music. Like there's a documentary about the comic strip where all comedians, that was sort of the mecca and the iconic place with uh, Mitzi Shore. Sounds like that. Yeah. And it's uh, this has got great great music in it too. There's an album out on uh, Sound City. McCartney's on it, and it's a, a lot of a lot of great songs. Um, but so my manager owns Sound City, and she was uh, working in the. She just come out from the Midwest and had befriended us, the studio manager Jemima. So Jemima put her on the desk, and I met her there. And uh, I was seeing another girl at the times. So when I split up with her, then I started dating Barbara and uh, we got married like five years later. So I talk a lot on here to successful people who are in quote unquote successful relationships. I mean, everything's not rainbows and unicorns, but certainly being in a three decade marriage is definitely a level of success. So, and I hear the most interesting tools to relationship success, but now you're adding a layer of touring and music and craziness and all that must go on with that. So how did you navigate that? How do you maintain a successful relationship in an industry where that is absolutely not the norm? Um, you marry my wife. <laughs> really? Yeah, she's, uh, she's amazing. And uh, she's one of those people that everybody loves. And she's absolutely truthful. She's an absolute people person. And that's her, that's her passion. And she's an incredible spirit. You know, and I wasn't always a good, the good guy in the relationship, and uh, we've weathered some storms, as any relationship has, but we've also had a great close connection. We've maintained that. Um, a lot of the couple of times, you know, we've gone to count, to people we know and counselors and that to, to help us through rough spots. I'm a big believer in that, too. If you, if you hit like this, you know, and you can't get past something, you go to a third person that you respect. and uh, Or you do it along the way so you're locking the door before you get robbed. You know what I mean? Which is what I, I got into a relationship and I've had a very challenging childhood, to say the least. And I got into a relationship and not that long after, which is weird in the beginning, I wanted to get into, just talk to someone just to navigate a long distance relationship and my past and this person's past. So I think I'm a big believer too, but I guess what I'm getting at, yes, marry your wife, but what are some of the tools that you can recall? For example, on here, I've heard from many people space, like give each other a long leash, like you're you and I'm me. And it's a dirty secret that people need space. I am in a long distance relationship for the most part. 
And that used to seem so daunting. But then when you realize you're in different pods, I have a pod with my daughter. I have a pod with my fiance. We have a pod when all the kids are together. And then the very rare one when I'm alone. And that makes it work. If you celebrate that and acknowledge what it really is and not the optics of what it's supposed to be. You know, and other people have said, I don't fix you. I fix myself. Meaning I'm not trying to change you. I just work on myself and you work on you. So I'm curious about it from a granular level. Yes. Getting through all that shit, knowing that there's going to be shit too. For young people, they think it's a fairy tale and it's all just going to work out because love will conquer all, which is the biggest bag of bullshit going. So I'm sort of talking about like that kind of toolbox of success. Um, I like being with her. You know, the one thing I've found over this lockdown is that we have a great relationship and we really like each other. And uh, we have a lot of similarities. We're very similar as people, but we're also very different, which is uh, also, you know, I think helps a relationship. Um, she's really incredible human being. It's been her power, I think, that's kept us together through hard times. And I've been responsible for a lot of those hard times. So I can't say that we, that we you know, kind of did it together. It was her power that I couldn't let go. I get it. I really do. That's interesting. There's one peacock and then, you know, sometimes there's one sort of solid tree with the roots that like there's the tree that's sitting there, the stump in the middle of the woods while you run around and get lost in the forest and then that she's still there. And I guess that's an interesting thing for relationships because there needs to be a solid rock. And that solid rock often is attracted to someone like you or like me, who is the, you know, the, the electric one. And, you know, there cannot, there really can only be one peacock usually in a relationship. And it seems like it's you and it seems like it's me. Um, what's your uh, feeling about age, relationship to it, dynamic with it, you know, internal struggle with it? You mean getting older? Yeah. Like, you know, you're a pop star and, you know, you know what it's like. I mean, you're, you're beautiful. You're very handsome. And I'm surprised. I, I don't know how old you are, but if you were doing an album at 79, then you're older than I am. I, I don't feel that young. So you're very handsome man. Please don't think I'm flirting with you and tell your barber <laughs> Paul would not like it either. I'm just saying it's a fact. It seems to be an empirical, like a fact that you don't look old at all, but you know what it's like to be a, like a teen pop idol. And now you're older and you definitely can't probably move as fast and touring doesn't feel the same. And you wake up and you definitely don't feel the same also. And you don't have the same audience. So what do you think about all that? Um, I w always wanted a long career. First of all, I'm, I'll be 72 in August. So wow, I still do understand. Uh, there's a phrase, don't let the old man in. And that's, I'm a big believer in that. And I, I think I always think I'm like 16 and I get up on stage and that it's that guy again. You know, it's that kid is still there. I think if I couldn't do what I wanted to do on stage, I'd certainly stop playing. I have so much fun up on stage that I, I can't see me as a 70 year old getting up there and doing that. But the guy inside me wants that so much. And I think that's part of what keeps someone young is that they're still really passionate about the thing that they were passionate about when they were kids. And I'm still, I still have that drive. I suffer from depression. So depression is a lot of my driver as well. Trying to prove to myself that, you know, I'm not a jerk. <laughs> well, it's funny. They say, you know, just the sayings, it keeps you young, but it is. It's like you have an older car and you just let it sit in the garage. It's going to get older. If you drive it and take care of it, so you're out there like working the literal instrument. But I think it's interesting that you said if you couldn't get up there and do what you were doing, and not just that you couldn't physically do it, you didn't think you were doing it well, 
you'd fold. And I feel that way about business and, you know, like relevance, things like that. There was a documentary about Joan Rivers and she said that part of her identity was what the calendar said, how busy she was. I'm the opposite. I would love for there to be nothing in the calendar. And I say, if the tables go cold, I'll walk out. When the tables go cold, you walk out of the casino. And I'm totally cool with that. Sounds like you're also cool with that. It is what it is. Yeah, yeah, I, I I think so. People say, you're ever going to retire? I say, well, if I retired, I'd just get a band together and go on the road, which is what I'm, what I'm doing, you know. But I don't know. I don't really, I don't really see that. And I don't know what that means other than uh, I live day to day and uh, I'm passionate about it. And, and the times I'm not, when I'm not, I don't do it. It does sound like comedy a lot, which is so interesting because I interviewed Kevin Nealon. And I'm finding parallels. Who would ever expect that comedy, you know, is like this? But we talked about the comic strip. And then he just like, you know, he says that, look how old I am. And I live a great life with my wife in California. And I get up and I go in these shitty hotels and I go do stand up. And, I, you know, I like it. I want to connect with people. So it's very interesting and very similar. I, I've actually talked with him and we've, uh, we remember talking to him and saying that we did feel kind of similar. And um, I, I saw instantly that there was a similarity in our attitudes. It feels like it. I literally energetically felt it from the beginning and the way you approach the business and like, you just do it. It's what you do. It's weird. And you should do, he has a hiking show. You should tell him that I said you should do it because it's weird. Like you guys should just have this conversation on a hike. It's just really, he's great. And I just literally see these similarities. Um, You have two kids? Yes, two boys. How old are they? Uh, 35 and 32. 31. What do they do and what are they like and what do they, how did they grow up differently? What do they make of all this? Well, you know, this is their life. This is their home. My dad never brought the army home and I've never brought the whole, you know, rock scene home. But, you know, there's guitars everywhere and they're aware I'm recording and, and doing stuff. And my eldest son's actually an amazing musician, but he's also a brilliant actor and he's just starting to move on that now. And my youngest son is a school teacher. And is very passionate, loves kids, and is uh, just got married. And he's, they're both uh, actually just really starting to flourish. So I'm very, you know, you're only as happy as your most unhappy child. So um, I'm very, you know, I feel great about them both now. And uh, I've been dad, but I guess they see me also as kind of a friend too. I have a great relationship with them both. I took time off from my career when they were born to hang with them and raise them. And I think that's that's paid off for certain what you put in you get out and being present in work is so important that you're giving it your all and when you're with your audience that you're really connecting with them but then when you're with your kids it's the same thing people are with their kids but not with their kids you know you're on your phone you're online shopping your social media young mom my wife and i see young moms all the time in the park with their kids and they're on their phone yeah and we think you're missing we you know when we had our kids that little we were with them and what enjoying their interactions and and being with them oh my god i know it's the death of human interaction it's different high school walking yeah and i see people missing their little kids lives both you know the dad and the mom because they're on this friggin' phone so we were very luckily it wasn't there for us when our kids were little and we had uh, we were very much you know a part of their life and with them the whole time we took you know i took them to new zealand for a tv series i did there and they went to schools in new zealand for a while and they've, they've had a, a really interesting life but because i traveled so much as a kid my dad was in the like i said in the army and we moved every two years and it was really brutal being the new kid in school 
all the time, and I hated that, which is why I ended up hating school. And in the end, I got kicked out of school in 11th grade because it just wasn't working for me or for school, for that matter. Um, so I've, we've been in this house for like 25 years now, and I always wanted a very stable place uh, to raise my kids. I never never thought I'd get there, but I think that's been the coolest thing I've done is to find a place where I'm happy. Well, that's that's just it's a house, but it's metaphorical to living, like you said, the rock scene, but keeping your family unit intact. It seems like everybody's knockwood flourishing and thriving. And you've had that sort of base. You have a foundation so you can run around and do all the things that you need to do. But you have that nest and that foundation to go home to that I do think is very important for people. And it's funny because I have been moving and renovating and do, and I, when I feel uprooted, I, I feel unsettled. I'm very house proud. And I like the feeling of the nesting and the solid because I have a crazy life. So I don't like when, when base camp is threatened, it's, it's very unsettling. So it sounds like you've kept that intact, which is, is a great model. Hey there. Did you know that May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is celebrating by highlighting some cool AAPI-owned brands like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Maeve. I mean, I love that a big brand like Macy's is supporting Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. It's important. But you know what? The best reason to check out these brands is that they're just really awesome. Seriously, you need to check them out. And you know what else? You have a great opportunity to open up access to college for AAPI students and help them succeed by donating to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. You can donate online or just round up your purchase at Macy's when you check out. So do what you can to help. Join Macy's and round up your purchase to the nearest dollar at checkout to support APIA scholars. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander-owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The virus that causes shingles is sleeping in 99% of people over 50. It's lying dormant, waiting, and it could reactivate at any time. And while not everyone at risk will develop shingles, it strikes as a painful, blistering rash that can last for weeks. Think you're not at risk for shingles? It's time to wake up, because shingles could wake up in you. If you're over 50, talk to your doctor or pharmacist about shingles prevention. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So what has been the rose of your career and what has been the thorn of your career? I don't know. I mean, I can't really think of like a one high point in my career. It's kind of just been a long journey. Um, I think writing writing my own autobiography was a real high point, probably because it's the most, a, a recent thing. But I think just... Um, I've, I've always loved writing prose and, and I started getting into it and I actually have two novels out now because of that. And that's because that's a new path for me. I love that. I love writing because you can write both songwriting and prose writing, novel writing. You can do anywhere. You don't need an audience. You don't need someone you know paying for something. You just sit down and you do it. And that's been that's been a real high point for me. I have uh, my second novel out on Audible right now uh, called World on Fire and, and um we're going to put that out in book form pretty soon as well. And that's been a, a real blast for me, doing, following that path. Writing music I've been doing since I was 15. I mean, obviously, you know, Jesse's Girl being a hit, the first album being a hit, that you always remember that because it kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, you have no, you know, no one's expecting anything. No one knows who you are. And it's just the power of the music that suddenly makes it, you know, to a certain success level. So I've been, I've been doing that all my life, and it's kind of the new stuff that I take on that I I look at as as high points. You know, certainly like the rum thing with Sammy has been a blast, and uh, yeah. So I guess it's it's kind of the different things. I guess I look at music as my day job, and and the high points. Although it's an exciting day job, the high points are the things that are passion projects. Yeah. Um, who do you think is the best musician of our time? Now, like, right, of all time and then of this time. Well, I mean, that covers a lot of ground. You know, you, you get into what you like and, you know, I mean, one of the greatest guitar players is, is Tommy Emmanuel. And, and, you know, not everybody knows who he, he is. And then there's, you know, Paul McCartney, who I, was, I idolized as a kid because he could, was a great writer and a great performer and a great singer. And so he's always the one I first kind of come up with, you know, because he, he was my my guy when I was a kid. But, you know, then I, Beethoven just blows my mind that he could sit under a tree and write a score like that in his head. So there's just so many different levels of brilliance that, uh, you know, and then there's the iconic early Elvis that came out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, he had no one to follow. He was just following some of the black artists that he loved and and, uh, and the country scene. So it is, it's such a giant palette that to pick one kind of... right. It's like Italian food, Chinese food, Thai food. There's different dishes from different places. But when you're listening to the radio now, who are you like, wow, this, this, this guy or girl is fucking great. They're good. Or this is wild. Oh, new stuff. Well, I mean, a lot of it maybe just because I'm getting older and I'm sounding like my parents saying, oh, Richard, that all sounds the same. Um, but, uh, you know, I hear the same drum sound. I hear the same writers. I hear the same chord progression. I hear the same synthesizers. I hear the same... 
melodies over and over. And as a musician, you know, you can you know chord progressions. You can tell that you're all just using the same thing. And everybody, everyone's trying to sound like everybody else. Whoever's the new successful, you know, I, I think there are some amazing talents. You know, I mean, I, I think, I mean, we used to do a version of Roar live in my show, but like a very rocked up version. And we also did the version of, um, what's the Taylor Swift song? Oh, Shake It Off. You know, so, th- I mean, I, I there's a lot of talent out there. But then someone comes along like Louis Capaldi, and I go, holy shit, there's still room for someone to do something different. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's a guy with a staggering voice. And, you know, just sits down with And Billie Eilish, too. First time I heard Billie Eilish, I thought, okay, this girl's stepping out of the norm. And that's how you notice somebody, I think, when you have a, a longer a longer musical view than just like, you know, the last 10 years. Or then just like it tastes good, but it's not good for me. Meaning you could like the way something sounds, but you need to appreciate all the layers under and the creativity, which is how I view different products. But you, you, you're you noticing all the texture and layers that everybody else wouldn't necessarily notice. Yeah, I think there's some, you know, and I still listen to all the, the bands. I'm a band guy, really. And there's not a lot of airplay for bands anymore. But, you know, I mean, real bands, you know, you know, play their own instruments and everything and write their own, you know, write their own songs. And that, that's still really where my heart is. Uh, OK, so you're on an island and for whatever reason, for talent, for good people, for entertainment and I mean, maybe humor in addition to music. You're on an island and you've picked uh, five musicians in addition to yourself. Who are the five people that you're inviting on this island with you to spend a long time with? You're, you're on a d- d- desert island. Five other musicians. Who are they? You mean dead or alive? Yes, dead or alive. Um, well, it'll be Hendrix, uh, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, Tom Petty, um, Joni Mitchell, of course. Awesome. Um, well, I won't ask you about your thorn because I don't want to end on a negative note, but... My thorn is my depression. <laughs> which is a, a thread. It's not like a one-time thing that happened. It's just like your, your thorn of your... You know, it's created big thorns in my life for sure. Yeah, it's funny because I first, for the first time ever recently, I've been thinking about, you know, for me, it's OCD. Like I literally, you know, I'm a beyond obsessive in perfection and, and everything has to be in order. Not in a way where I have to like you know, touch myself five times on one hand or the other, or that I can't shake someone's hand, just order, order and organization to the point where if it's not perfect and I forget nothing. So it's maddening. I mean, it's also, it's also part of, you know, your success and, and my depression is part of my, view. it makes, makes me uh, feel I have to keep proving myself and I have to do better. And I, you know, because I'm, I'm not worth it. And, and, uh, so it, it, I realized when I was writing my autobiography that it was actually, you know, it was part of my driver, that there's a, a front and a back to everything. And as bad as it makes me feel, it's also, you know, responsible for, I think, my persistence and my drive and my... Well, also the access to feelings, too. You're describing it as just because you want to be liked. But I mean, the access to lows, I mean, it's got to be a lot about what music is about, singing about the highs and the lows. And you nailed it. Because likewise, yes, it's exactly. I could. There's nothing I can't accomplish. Finish. I miss nothing. So it's good, but it's not good for me. It might be that it's good for the music, but it's not good for you. But Matthew McConaughey was on this podcast, and he called these. Sharita's book. It's really good. Really, really good and funny. But he calls these the green lights. But it's also a red light. Like it's a red light because it stops you down. But depending upon how you look at it, it's also a green light. Yeah, it's a. You know, I've always believed in yin yang, and that. Uh, 
nothing is all good or all bad. It's a mixture of both. And you just, exactly. you have to find the good, the good part. So yeah, and that's, you know, it's been with me since I was 16. So I've learned to live with it. So sometimes try to, you know, see both sides of the coin. Rick, it was such a pleasure talking to you. It was a really different, interesting, textural conversation that I really enjoyed. And I think the listeners are going to enjoy and take away from. So, and I so appreciate your time. Happy to do it. Always fun to talk to you. So that was Rick Springfield. And that was a different conversation. That was a more uh, relaxed textural, granular, warm, emotionally intelligent conversation. And, you know, people have been saying to me that they're listening to the podcast and they're hearing things that they haven't heard before. And they know these people for years in so many different ways, but they're hearing us discuss things that they haven't heard discussed before. And there's just so much to take away for you emotionally, professionally, family-wise, business-wise, parent-wise, you know, kid-wise, relationship-wise, love-wise, sex-wise, therapy-wise. But how interesting that I would find a parallel between Kevin Nealon and Rick Springfield that Rick Springfield knew about. Like he said, that's so funny because we are similar. So have a wonderful day. Rate, review, and subscribe. And thanks for listening. As always. Just Be is hosted and executive produced by me, Bethany Frankel. Just Be is a production of Be Real Productions and iHeartRadio. Our managing producer is Fiona Smith and our producer is Stephanie Stender. Our EP is Morgan Lavoy. To catch more moments from the show, follow us on Instagram at Just Be with Bethany. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. So Puerto Rico is a beautiful place. It's a lush island. It's great for surfing. It's got a culture. Like, you feel like you've really gone somewhere far and you don't need a passport, which honestly, I do really enjoy. It's a beautiful island. The people are amazing. The food is amazing. The water, the beaches, the vibe. It's a great place. 
It really is. In Puerto Rico, you'll taste the influence of Spanish, African, and native Taino traditions, sometimes all in the same dish. Puerto Rican chefs and restaurants put their passion into every bite. Puerto Rico is an excellent destination for food, which may not be a well-known fact. Whether it's a five-star restaurant or local favorite spot, no one does food like Puerto Rico. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com.